Welcome back to uh, the second hour of Amplify. Our guest is Bethany Dearborn Heiser. She's the director of Soul Care for Northwest Family Life, a um, network of therapists trained to work with survivors of domestic violence and uh, sexual trauma. She's written a book, a very important book for so many of us, uh, From Burned Out to Be Beloved. And um, most recently, uh, the last part of our program, uh, we were talking about how God whispered uh, to her heart, Bethany, you don't need to feel guilty for taking care of uh, yourself. Uh, And we talked a little bit about how we need to stop and explore the deep well of God's presence within us because we are and always will be profoundly loved by God. We what we do doesn't give us additional worth. Uh, God does that. And we need to let ourselves be loved even though we know we are not we are not uh perfect. So now we want to talk a little bit about codependency in the workplace and she has a quote uh, from Father Richard Rohr who who writes Codependency studies made us aware that much love is actually not love at all, but its most clever and bogus disguise. So much that it is unlove and non-love and even manipulative love cannot be seen or addressed because it is so dang sacrificial. Amplify on that quote a little bit for us, Bethany. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, we think that we are being loving sometimes when we actually are trying to meet our own needs. And that could be our need for acceptance or our need for impact, as I mentioned earlier. And I think, um, for example, we might think that we know what might be helpful for another person um, because it is painful and it's hard to see somebody in a difficult situation. And yet if we move ahead with our agenda for their lives without meeting them where they're at, um, then we could be harmful (laughs) towards them Mm -hmm. um, instead of actually helpful, let alone loving of them. Uh, And especially if we are, and we might be doing that in a way that we don't even realize. We might be thinking yes. that we are being so loving because we are going above and beyond trying to help somebody. And yet if they're not ready for it, um, and if we're not meeting them where they're at and what readiness might look like for them, then we're not, we're doing it for our own um, relief because it's hard to see them in suffering or it's because um, we want to feel good about ourselves. And that's just really hard <laughs> to grapple with. Um, and can be really painful to turn and to re- realize how our behavior, how what we thought was loving, um, is actually harmful. Right, because as you point out, you can't change more than what others want for themselves. Deciding for them instead of with them can be dehumanizing and disempowering that we can't try to make situations and people better before they are ready. And so codependency you write might be disguised as rescuing or saving another it's a way we meet our needs and desires it helps us to avoid our own pain it pushes away our deeper fears and thoughts and staying busy then can become a way of numbing ourselves can't it Mm -hmm. yeah and it, it can feel easier just to keep going instead of 
recognizing how we are being impacted or what might be driving our own behavior. And so we are invited, you write, to suffer with others and yet also learn to be led by God and let Jesus carry the weight because you, you indicate that, as we've said it different ways many times, God will sustain us. Um, and you write, in our own struggle and compassion for another, others, we can experience God's love and sustenance as we also entrust that God loves those we accompany and is at work outside of us. God's love is not limited to us and our expression of it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was a really helpful reframing for me uh, when I started realizing uh, that you know, I'd been studying social work, um, change methods and frameworks and strategies and thinking, um, okay, I got to go and do all this stuff. And I, it's all up to me. I got to figure out how to help people the best. And, um, and those are all good and needed and important to make change. And yet to trust and to stop and to realize that, uh, that God can actually work outside of me and beyond me and meet people and, God is the healer, and I get to walk with people towards the healer that I, um, my relationship with people can be healing and tra- help in their journey towards transformation. And yet God can do even, you know, we talk about above and beyond what we can ask or even imagine. And sometimes you indicate that we have to ask ourselves, why am I doing what I'm doing? It uh, mm-hmm. seems easier to focus on the needs of others than on our own, especially when we think that we're doing it all for God, and you believe that you should not want or need things for yourself, you learn to deny your own needs, and what you wanted and needed needed didn't really matter, did it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, if you're familiar with the Enneagram, um, and your listeners are, I'm an Enneagram too, which might not come as a surprise surprise but part of um my journey is is and part of that those who are helping professionals and enneagram twos um is being out of touch with our own needs uh and out in our own feelings and thinking that our needs aren't important Uh, so to to say and to hear from god that my needs are important um even though i have received a lot of care and i privilege in my background that I still have valid needs was really as as part of my own ongoing work. Mm -hmm. And um, a need, you point out, to have an impact on our world can lead to dissatisfaction, frustration, and even harm to those we serve. In order to cope and survive, we need to meet our own needs, and we need to develop a program for uh, for happiness. Uh, you write about uh, false beliefs that, uh, mm-hmm. that we have. Um, what, what are some of those false beliefs? We've talked about it's some of them already, me. of course. Yeah, it's all up to me. If I don't, no one will. Um, I don't and I shouldn't have needs. I think that was a false belief for me. Um, and the also there can be false beliefs around um our our own belovedness thinking that my worth is in what i do um and that i'm not loved i'm not valuable 
unless I am productive or unless I am successful or unless people think well of me. So there's there's a whole array of beliefs that can we can be living out of without our awareness. And you indicate that uh, false beliefs are sometimes referred to as ungodly beliefs because they do not represent, uh, do not truly represent the truth of how God sees us or who we are called to be in this world. Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, I mean, that truth of our lo- that we are loved no matter what um, is in contrast to the belief that we are loved for what we do. And so part of my work and even what I've walked with others in is naming those beliefs and recognizing them as such, even saying, oh, yeah, that is, that's what I'm, that's a narrative that I'm living out of. And then going to God and saying, hey, I need, I need to hear truth to replace that, that belief. I need to um, have a reframing of how I'm seeing myself and interacting with the world. And so you write, when I value only what I do rather than who I am, I work fervishly. But when I hear from God how truly, deeply loved I am, no matter what I do, I'm free to receive and to give out of fullness by making small changes such as turning off my phone, taking a lunch break, and protecting times of rest. I'm heeding the voice of the Beloved, capital B. That voice says my value is not in what I do. I deserve care, have limits, and am not superwoman. I know your kids might think you're superwoman, maybe your husband even, <laughs> no, but you're not superwoman, are you? No, yeah. <laughs> no, and I, I think I... Even in parenting and juggling working, and sometimes I, you know, I still try to act as though I need to have it all together. That's one of my false beliefs, and that I don't need help, that I'm fine, um, and even just to acknowledge my own mistakes to my to my kids and to say, "Oh, yep, I messed up," um, or and then to ask other people for help um, is a is a discipline for me, and it's a, a movement towards towards my belovedness is to say that, hey, I'm, I'm human, um, I'm weak, and I've, I make mistakes, and yet I am still loved. Right, and so our, our false beliefs can influence our feelings of anger, shame, resentment, and guilt, you point out. And you have some examples listed in your book of common uh, false beliefs. If I perform well enough, I can change things. If I let go of control, something bad will happen. If something's wrong or someone is treating me poorly, even abusively, it's my fault. That's, that certainly comes up with a lot of sexual abuse. I know that. Mm-hmm. Other feelings are more important than mine. Nothing good comes from conflict. False peace is better than no peace. I was created to help others. Because I can help, I should help. I have value only when I'm needed. 
my needs are secondary to those of others. And finally, if I say no, I'll be rejected, let someone down, or worse. So um, say something a little bit more about one or two of the common beliefs, false beliefs, false beliefs that we've not talked on so far. Yeah, I mean, I mostly, you know, speak from from my experience, and yet I continually in the workshops and working with other people hear those beliefs in various different um, ways from others, and we are all seeking to meet our needs and to be um, to be loved, to be needed. Those are healthy and normal needs, um, and yet when we live as though um, we don't have value and you know, unless we're needed, like one of those um, statements said, then we will continue to put ourselves in positions where we are needed and where it feels good to be needed. And that's a normal thing. And yet when we push ourselves and maybe even impose ourselves on other people um, or put ourselves, sometimes people put themselves, you know, in unhealthy relationships, intimate partner relationships, um, because they feel needed in that relationship and it feels too hard to let go. And so it can be really harmful when that those narratives are the ones that we, we live out of. One of the questions you ask um, is, what does it look like to honor God, how God has made me, and yet not base my identity on being a helper? How would you answer the question you yourself have asked, how, what does it look like to honor how God has made me and yet not base my identity on being a helper? Yeah, that's a good question. I think I, what I was thinking about when I read, wrote um, in terms of who God has made me is that I, I love to walk alongside people. I love to care for the people. Um, it's part of my personality. It's part of who I'm made to be, and yet um, I need antidotes to that. I need to put myself in positions of receiving and to remind myself that it, I'm, I'm not just a helper. Um, and I think there's a bit of heartbreak sometimes there for me, honestly, because I, I love working and I've felt called to work with um, people who have experienced a lot of trauma and who are suffering, and yet... Um, Part of my story that I tell in the book is just wondering what is my capacity? Uh, can I? How many? How much can I hear? Can I still be present to people um, in their in their suffering in the same way that I used to, or that I would like to be? Um, and so that that journey for me of can I be who I feel God called me to be, and what does it look like to do that in a sustainable way for myself right now in this season as well as in the future? Um. You uh, write about identifying stages of change. Why hasn't your recovery journey been a straight trajectory from burnout to healing? Uh, oh, um, if only, right? Yes, if um, only, right. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, when I've, I, because I have those same patterns and beliefs, and I think um, that I've made progress and that I am. I'm aware now more and more of when I'm living out of a false place um, or my false self, as Father Richard and others talk about. Um, but 
to um, Richard War, that is. And so to, to no, recognizing that has been part of my growth. And yet, um, whether if I'm exhausted, if I um, haven't had time of centering, then I so quickly revert back to living out of my false self. I mean, it, it happens. I feel like my recovery journey is, is hopefully in a movement forward. And yet every day I can take, you know, I can revert back to old ways easily um, to live out of my false self. Uh, and so I daily need uh, to be grounded. That's why it's not just, oh, you know, after you have a sabbatical you're, and do some inner work, you're good to go. Um, but we need these reminders. We need these practices on an ongoing pace, basis in order to to live knowing that we're loved and to live from our true selves. It was interesting that uh, you compare recovery to walking through a labyrinth. Oh, we just have mm-hmm. about a minute and a half. Say something about that, please. Yeah, I was standing in the middle of a labyrinth um, on an ignition silent retreat, and I noticed that, oh, there's just kind of a quick path back out to the, to the exit. Um, and I noticed the temptation just to walk right out. Um, and yet recognizing that is our t- temptation is that we want to just be done with the journey. And yet to go back through the layers of the labyrinth and sometimes just one step beyond the center, we, it looks like we're in the same place we were, and yet we're actually a layer deeper. And I feel that's the same in our recovery, that we might come across those same beliefs um, you know, months, a year from now, and we can despair, but instead to say, oh, there it is again, um, and to recognize that we actually are making progress and hopefully going deeper in our own work and towards uh, our, our tr- living out of our true self. And um, you, you speak about some of the steps, pre-contemplation, contemplation, preparation, action, uh, maintenance, and relapse. So relapse is a possibility, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, my friends who are in recovery from substances say that often relapse is part of the journey towards recovery, is hitting that rock-bottom place and right. and kind of open it opens our eyes and rec- in our own brokenness and says, hey, I'm not okay and I need help. And that can be um, that can be part of the 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 journey towards wholeness. Yeah, you indicate that changing uh, our behavior. Uh, does not involve a nice straight line. It is more like the labyrinth, as you just talked about, with with twists and turns. In order to get out of the cycle, we need to recognize what patterns lead to relapse. So we're going to take this break, and we'll be back with our final segment. Welcome back to uh, Amplify, to uh, the last segment of uh, the, the program. Lasts about uh, 20 minutes. And our guest is Bethany Dearborn Heiser. We're talking about her book, From Burned Out to Be Loved. And um, she uh, hesitated uh, to ask others to pray for her, um, indicating that it's often easier to help others than to uh, be helped. And uh, she writes that when we ask for help, we're reaching out. Now she writes, we ask for help. We're reaching out for intimacy as much as anything. We're acknowledging we have limitations. We are human. 
there's wisdom in knowing our limits. When we acknowledge and embrace our need for love and connection, we're freed to receive the gifts and help that others offer us. And here we're, she's speaking especially even about uh, God. Um, tell us about the, the relationship that we can have with uh, Jesus to uh, help us live life ab- abundantly and, and about how your, your life has improved since your burnout. Uh, you have the quote from St. Irenaeus that the glory of God is a human being fully alive. Yeah, I love that quote, recognizing that God is more clearly manifest in and through us um, when we are living out of our true self and that we, God intends and, and desires for us to be fully alive. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, your former question of um, what does that look like for me now Um that I, at least if I was understanding right, that that was your question. Um, I think I, I mean, as I said, I still am on the journey in terms of needing to take breaks, needing to slow down. Um, and yeah, I am more quickly, um, I, just, I know that God is with me and, and, and loves me. Um, and I, even when I mess up and I or messing up in terms of I stop, I keep going and I'm busy and I don't stop and take a break, um, that I just, I recognize that it's lacking. Um, and I, I thirst for that time of centeredness to ground me and to, to be with God. Um, that it's like a literal well that I need to drink from in order to, to be sustained in my days. Um, in some ways it might be for those who, exercise regularly you can really feel it in your bodies when you um when you don't I'm, I'm a runner and i i try to run every other day and if i don't get much exercise i i feel antsy and i i feel the lack of it and i think in some ways um i just i it's not that i that god doesn't love me or that doesn't mm-hmm. accept me um when i don't have that time of of being rooted and still with god um but that I'm not drinking, I'm not experiencing the nourishment that God is offering me. And you um, write about a double-blind worksheet can help us to identify the, the fears or beliefs that keep us from, uh, from moving forward. And you have, a, seek, you have uh, some questions about uh, how false beliefs can affect us uh, physically, uh, how does it result in stress, how does it affect my body mentally, what do I tell myself to keep believing it? What is the perceived benefit that I receive from believing this emotionally? How does this belief make me act and feel? How does it protect me? Uh, what can I imagine feeling if I tried giving up or changing the belief spiritually? How does it affect my relationship with an ability to hear from God? Socially, how does it affect my relationship with others? How does it affect the way I act or my responses toward others? What about spiritually? How can false beliefs affect your relationship with an ability to hear from God? Hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think if I think that it's all up to me or that I don't have needs, then even if we don't aren't aware of that, that I might 
not go to God to receive. I might think that I'm fine just as I am um, and that God loves me for what I do and that I don't need help. <laughs> that And I might translate that to my relationship with God, that um, kind of a, a run-through prayer <laughs> of, okay, God, bless my work, bless this, you know, just the um, the drive-through sometimes people talk about it and um, instead of saying, hey, God wants to spend time with you. God wants to, to know you, that you're worth God's attention and love and delight, uh, not for what you do, that God doesn't just care about how well you are um, benefiting others, but that uh, God loves you just because God loves you. You know, and as a parent now, I can, I can experience a, a taste of that, but I love my kids no matter what they do. And so um, to trust and to live out of that place <laughs> Um, that God doesn't just want me to be uh, helpful <laughs> uh, mm-hmm. to others, to be loved, but that, um, and that's how, really how often I was living without even aware of it, that, you know, I'm, I'm seeking God's kingdom and so God must love me, or I'm, I'm helping all these people, and so then God must be really proud. Um, and it's not that we're not called to seek God's kingdom and called to love people well and to love our neighbors, um, but that God loves us as we are, no matter what. Um, and that can really change how I'm able to receive. I mean, right now, although I'm working part-time, I'm, the majority of the time I'm, I'm also caring for my girls. And, mm-hmm. and to know that I'm loved, even if I'm not having um, engaging with people on the front lines in, in the same way that I was before and that I would love to at some point. How difficult um, is it to like, discern when to say no and when to say yes. Did you say how difficult is it to, when, yes. to discern that? Yeah, how difficult or how do you, how, or discern? How do you discern when you say no or when you should say yes to to the things you're being asked to do and what people are demanding yeah. you to be? And I think for me, I've had to create some space to that response and um to not just respond out of my um, quick, you know, yes or no to that person, because that for me has so often been, um, oh, they need me, or, you know, this is a really valid question or, and, and challenging situations, of course I'm going to help them. And, and so just at creating a little bit of pause, whether that's, hey, can I call you back, um, has been, was really helpful practice for me. And sometimes, you know, people were able to find a different way or they already had the resources to obtain what they needed. Um, and so just for me also asking sometimes for what they're already doing about it, what resources they have um, and going to God and asking for God to you know, give me peace as I respond to somebody's request. I, you know, I worked with people who had trouble paying for rent and for various different um, in crisis in a lot of different ways. And so I, needed God's discernment and help in knowing how to respond to the many requests that we encountered. Um, and so literally wanting to, God to guide those responses uh, and how, and which needs that we, in which way we were going to meet those needs. Um, because if I was responding out of my own exhaustion or my own desire to be, to please somebody, um, then, you know, I was running way too much and not always being effective. And yet God's leading, you write, isn't always clear. Often mm-hmm. we cry out and don't hear. We question. 
we respond to subtle nudges. Sometimes we walk forward until there is a red light. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely um, a, a journey of tuning in to, so, you know, sometimes people talk about tuning into God's voice as though on a radio station that, you know, we're on KDKA right now and, and tuning in, there's all these voices coming at us on the different radio stations and we get to tune in and to God's voice and to, um, if only it was as clear as a radio station, right? But um, but just to, to acknowledge that, hey, there's lots of different internal beliefs and voices and external as well that we're encountering and to slow, to slow down and to say, okay, God, what, what are you prompting me in this situation? Um, how do you want me to respond to this situation? Sometimes that's just peace, but might, we might just sense that in our in our bodies, and sometimes it's, um, you know, hey, just walk around this corner, go this direction instead of the other direction. You know, one time I, I literally was um, walked around one direction around the building I was working in instead of the other, and it was the longer way, and it felt kind of silly. I thought, you know, why don't I just go the right the other way? But I thought, no, I just go this way. Um, and I ran into somebody that I literally had just been thinking about and wondering how she was doing, and she happened to be at the post office across the street. And I saw her van, and we went. Out, I went over and started chatting with her, and thought I wouldn't have seen her that day if I had gone the other direction. And not to um, as a burden, but more just an invitation when we have those those subtle nudges to call someone or text somebody that maybe that's God working through us in our imagination and in our um, as bears of God's kingdom. Again, trusting that God works outside of us, even when we we don't respond to those nudges. Father Dodd, and you're right. It has been freeing to seek to be led by God and to respond to what God invites me to do, not just what I think needs to be done or feel pressured to do. I'm also overwhelmed by gratitude that God works through me and yet is not dependent on me. That's that's a very important line, mm-hmm. isn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah, because if I, if I took... If I take what I just said, you know, and make a rule of it of, okay, well, you know, I've got to, what if that can add stress? Oh, I, oh, I missed something or am I not discerning right? And instead, no, there's grace. <laughs> it's a relationship of love and of delight and that we got to participate in what God is doing. Um, but we aren't, it's not all up to us. You know, we are the builders, that God is the builder. Mm-hmm. And we get to, we have to walk alongside a loving, caring God, um, who actually loves the people that we love even more profoundly <laughs> and is at work in their lives. You, um, you write that we need God's wisdom, nourishment, and life flowing through us. And the chapter is titled Creating Rhythms of Rest and Renewal. What does it mean to create rhythms of rest and renewal? Yeah, and there's the ancient practice, monastic practices of daily practices of, of prayer rhythms, um, as well as of Sabbath rest. And um, and yet, for some of us, we can think, oh, that's unattainable, or, you know, I have way too much to do. And in that chapter, I talk about just even small, simple practices that we can do that can be really life-giving for us and root ourselves in the truth about who we are in God Um and that might be five minutes, you know, starting your day, um, a five minutes of centering prayer or stretching or listening to a song. I have a friend who said he's 
um, he's a full-time law student right now and just started, after reading my book, he just started going for a walk uh, around his apartment and then coming back to his same apartment where he's taking his law classes online right now. Um, but that walk of just a way of kind of starting his day and breathing some fresh air. And so um, there's also, I talk about transition activities and I think of all the healthcare workers right now and the immense yes. challenge and burden that they must be experiencing. And, you know, what are, what are simple practices? You know, they're washing their hands all day long, I imagine. And what if they, as they exited a, a patient's room and they washed their hands with soap and water, they're also praying and saying, okay, God, I give this person to you. Um, will you take this story? Will you take this reality? I can't bear it but alone. And so the, the things that we integrate into our lives that don't just have to be more things to do, but just a way of being in our everyday life. And prayer, you write, is, uh, you believe, is a uh, lifeline to hope that a daily practice benefits us not only spiritually, but also emotionally, psychologically, and physically. And you have reason to believe that, because you've been through it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, definitely, yeah. And I, as I said, I still need those daily practices um, and still have to fight for them, <laughs> but I... Um, it's all too easy because as with limited time um, for me to just press on and to work um, to respond to emails or to to prepare for the next thing instead of stopping for five, ten, fifteen minutes and grounding myself and in you, God's presence. Yeah, you write about the importance of of uh, of Sabbath um, mm-hmm. when it comes down to all forms of uh, spiritual growth at whatever the practice and. Whatever the time of day, um, we need to allow space uh, to be to be nourished, and that's part of what it means to uh, create rhythms of rest and uh, and renewal. And uh, again, and prayer becomes then that lifeline to hope. What about living in joy? What is it you're hoping for in living in joy? Yeah, I think there's couple practices I talk about in that chapter, the, there's a lot of research right now about choosing gratitude and the, the psychological uh, benefits that we have when we notice what is good, when we say thank you for this and to turn in, in a posture of gratitude. Um, and so that in itself could be a daily practice that people are engaging with. Um, and it's not denying the challenges. It's not denying the heartache, uh, but it's saying, "Yet I will rejoice." You know, yet there, even though the, there's famine, and Scripture says, um, "Even though the the fruit trees bear no fruit, yet I will rejoice." And so, what does it look like to to be a community of people who say that there's more, that there is goodness, that there is life um, and love and joy to be had that might we might not see right now in front of us, and yet we believe that we are um, of, we are kingdom people and that there is a joy that we can live out of and to receive um, in the face of suffering and amidst of suffering. Another way you, you say that when you write, we are told that something powerful happens as we experience the joy of the Lord. It gives us strength. It enhances our perspective and grounds us deeper in truth. 
It sustains, nourishes, guides, and fills us. Joy is a fruit of the Spirit's presence in our lives. Our guest this evening has been Bethany Dearborn Heiser. Her The title of her book is From Burnout to Beloved. Uh, Bethany, thank you so very much for being with us. I'm sure you've been able to help a lot of people. Mm, thank you so much for having me. It's been a gift to be on and, the show. And I hope you and all your loved ones have a blessed Christmas. Thank you. And all right. You as well. All right. Good night. Good night. And so we uh, come to the to the end of the program. Um, just a couple more thoughts uh, from her book. Uh, she writes, I... I am loved not for what I do, but because I am. My worth and value do not depend on how I am received or accepted, nor do they depend on how effective and helpful I am to others. In this world, I am loved just as I am. I am not the healer. God is the healer. I get to, the point, I get to point people to Jesus and I also witness Jesus speaking the truth in deep soul places where my words of comfort, truth, and encouragement don't reach. I am not the hands and feet of God. God works outside of me as well as through me. When I cry out to God for help, I see the impossible happen. Mountains move and challenges are overcome in ways that even the best advocacy and clinical methods can't accomplish. I need to ask for help. I can't do it all. I have limitations, and that's not only completely normal, but also a good thing. It's okay to say no, maybe, or tomorrow. I'm dependent on God and on others. Neither God nor other people expect me to have all the answers or to be able to figure everything out on my own. I need to rest and learn to receive. I need regular times of reflection in prayer. The pain of others penetrates me deeply, so I need to be replenished and filled with God's presence to survive. I can be okay with unproductiveness. I can choose gratitude and receive joy. Again, um, I'll be back on um, Thursday night, really Friday morning, and uh, they call it uh, an extended edition of Amplify as we welcome in the Christmas season. We'll be on till 5 o'clock in the morning. Hope you'll be there. Don't forget then how precious life is and how powerful love is. Tell someone now that you love him or her. Pray for peace as if it depended on you alone. And come back next Sunday and amplify with us 